Uh, as we move forward today, we're launching into a theme that Pastor Walt had spent some time in and wanted us to kind of hit a theme over the next couple of months. And so we're starting a, a series today called Recovery Kid. And uh, uh, Pastor has some, some details and explanations to start this that you can see on our on- online services uh, if you want to and kind of get his heart behind that. But as we launch into this day, I want you to uh, go to Isaiah uh, chapter 54, verse 10. And so Isaiah 54, 10 says, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills will be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. You know, if you just read through a scripture like that and, and, and don't pay attention to the detail, it's very easy to miss out on the power behind what God's saying, right? And, you know, as, as human beings, we have selective hearing anyway, but, I, but I, re- I really want you to get a hold of this this morning. He says, for the mountain shall depart and the hills will be removed. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a mountain depart? Have you ever seen a hill removed? Now, in some ways, if you look at West Texas, we have small, small hills, so don't give me that, right? I just got back from Colorado and being in the mountains, and, and I, on the, I was standing at the top of the mountain, and this verse came up in, out of Isaiah uh, on my, my Bible app there on the phone, and, and Kelly and I are standing in the mountains, and I mean, the mountains are way bigger than we are. Come on. I mean, we're, we're, it's a small, we're a small portion uh, physically of, of the, 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 the incredible beauty and and you know, I'm just talking about mountains, right? And so, you know, I got to thinking about that. I read this scripture. It said, the mountain shall depart. And I, and I told Kelly, I said, can you imagine these mountains departing? Can you imagine the hills being removed? Or another version says, fall to pieces. But let me tell you, it's more likely for a mountain to depart and a hill to be removed, come on, before God's mercy, his kindness, and his love are taken away from you. So I'd say the odds are in our favor, come on somebody, that we're in a good position. I'd say, say that God's pretty much saying, I'm gonna take care of you and my mercy's not gonna leave you, my kindness is not gonna leave you and my love is not going to leave you, right? And so life has cycles of recovery. We're talking about recovery kit this morning. There's certain cycles of, of all kinds of different recovery. Uh, if you've ever been, uh, had surgery, there's a, there's a cycle there where you'll go through a recovery process. If you're an athlete, and, and, and you play sports and you give and you give and you give, there's a certain recovery process to getting your body back in order. And so needing a recovery doesn't mean that you're weak. Come on, somebody. Needing a recovery just means that you're human. And so there are times in life that things happen and, and circumstances happen and there are things that we face and there are also things that we don't see coming. And so we just came out, we've, we, we've been in this, this season of, of you know, where people are, are, are really affected. And maybe, maybe some of you haven't been aff- affected personally uh, by, by the, the, the season that we've been in, but I can tell you there's those that have had it really hard. And so they didn't see it coming. We don't, it's not something that we ask for. You know, many of you go through, uh, have gone through tragedy or trials or those kind of things. You know, you didn't necessarily wake up in the morning and say, hey, I wanna go through a tragedy or I wanna go through a trial or I wanna go to a point where I need a recovery process. But I have good news for you today, come on, that even though the, the, the mountains can depart and even though the hills can be removed, no matter what we go through in life, when it comes time to recover, come on, God's mercy, his kindness, and his love will never depart from us. And so that kind of settles that. And so the word recovery, you know, if you really look into it, it means a return to a normal state 
of health, of mind, of strength. It means to, to have re, recuperation, return to health, healing, rallying. I like that word, rallying, improvement, picking up, betterment. And so, so the, the word recovery doesn't mean that we went through something and life is over. The word recovery, come on, it simply means that God will help us not only get back to where we were, but he'll take us beyond because he's a God that does exceedingly and abundantly above anything we can ask or think. And I've said this many times, but today you're sitting here at your lowest level of life because of that. And, and today is our lowest level, no matter where you're at, because God does exceedingly and abundantly above anything we can ask or think. And so it might not get easier, but it will get better. It might not get easier, come on somebody, but there will be increase in your life because we just sang about it and didn't the worship team do a beautiful job of laying it out? I mean, I could have walked out the door and I had church there in that first 15 minutes. And so, so the, the recovery process doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're, you're not able. It doesn't mean that life is over. It doesn't mean that your plan failed and therefore everything's falling apart. You know, I used to think if I failed at anything, life was over. And then I began to realize, hey, I've learned more in failure than I have in success. Because every time, every time I've gone through it, God has never let me down. Come on. And that's the beauty of, of God's recovery process. And there, there are a thousand ways to go on this topic. And you're going to hear some incredible things during this, scene, this, this theme over the next five, five weeks or so. But I just want to give you some thoughts this morning that help us uh, when it comes to recovery thoughts that bring life to every situation. Because we're all going to face things. I, it's just the way life is, right? And so I want to give you some, some recovery thoughts. Number one this morning. Number one is simply this. Hold on to God's promises. Hold on to God's promises. You know, Hebrews chapter 6 says that we have this hope as an anchor to our soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor to our soul, firm and and secure. You know, those are not weak words. I've said this before, but those are not weak words. When he says firm and secure, it means that we're standing on the foundation, come on, that God established. And God's original intent, if you read in the beginning, he lays out his intent, uh, and things didn't quite work out. So through the process of, of that, there had to be a recovery. And thank God that the recovery that we're standing on today, firm and secure, come on, is Jesus who came and laid his life down, who beat death, hell, and the grave, who defeated the enemy, who bruised his heel on the enemy's head and laid out a path and a future. So we're standing here today firm. We're standing here secure with a hope and with a future. I said we're standing here firm and we're standing here secure, not in what we've gone through, but knowing what Jesus went through. And God always establishes and recovers things back to its original condition. And then he blesses it beyond that. That's why Jesus came, right? And so, so we, we, we hold on to the promises of God because this is, this is the place that we stand. This is the place that, 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 that we always go to. Now, I'm going to get into emotions here in a minute and tell you how to, kind of, how, to, how to beat emotions to stay in faith. But when you get a, 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 you know, when people say, hey, you need to read your Bible. And I know we live in a culture today. I had someone tell me one time, you can't even say, or here in the last few months told me, you can't even say the Bible says anymore. Well, I'm here to tell you what the Bible says, Right. And so the Bible says that we're firm and that we're secure. The Bible says that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. The Bible says, that, come on, that what we put our hand to, that he will prosper. The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Come on. 
The Bible says that, that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Can I just talk to you for a minute? The Bible says that, that, that even though the enemy comes at you one way, come on, like a flood, God comes in and restores us a thousand other ways. Come on, the Bible says our God owns the thousand, uh, cattle on a thousand hills. Can I just go on? And so we're not defeated. We may be in a place where we need recovery, but that's what our, our saving master, come on, does the best is he brings recovery into our lives. And so maybe you're here today and you need recovery. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It just means that you're living in, living in this world. Jesus didn't forget about you. We gotta hold on to the promises of God. And people say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, we didn't ask how you felt. Come on, somebody, hold on to the promises of God. I don't feel like feeding my family seven nights a week. Come on but I gotta do it, right? I don't like putting gas in the car. My dad always tell me, son, that'll run just as good on full as it does on empty. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that, right? So we're gonna hold on to the promises of God. You know, uh, my daughter's uh, taking cosmetology and I had to go get a, a haircut as part of her testing phase and so I was the, the experimental rabbit, I guess, so to speak. And so, we're going through the, pro I was sitting there and I, you know, I was there about two hours, longest haircut I've ever gotten in my life. My daughter's not here today so I can talk bad about her, right? And so, so the lady's giving instructions, they're going through all the process and, 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 and cutting and she's trying to cut and then they come back and tell her what to do. She cuts a little bit, you're sitting there with hair all over you and because they're learning the process, they leave, the instructor comes back. I mean, it's a long, long process. But when the instructor came back, she said something that, that I thought was powerful, but she, you know, as I'm sitting there and she was instructing and she grabbed the top of my head and just, just with, with, with a, a secure manner, just grabbed the top of my head. And I thought, she's fixing to kill me. <laughs> and so, and the instruction that she gave to my daughter was that when you're giving a haircut to a man, that if, you, if you'll hold their head with confidence and let them know that you're there, you'll ease their mind and they'll have confidence that you're gonna give them the haircut that they wanna have. She said, but if you, don't, if, if, you don't, if you don't grab and hold the top of their head just the right way, they'll lose trust and lose confidence and, and they'll probably never come back and, and, and get another haircut from you. Not only is it good business advice, come on somebody, it's just, it was just good advice. And I thought, you know, that's what God does. God doesn't hold our head weak. God, God puts his hand upon our head Come on, and he even knows the number of hairs on our head, and for some of us, that's more than others, but hey, we're rock and rolling, right? But, but the reality is God puts his hand upon our head, and when he does, come on, it creates confidence in us. And so when, when that moment happens, when Jesus, when you receive Jesus into your life, there's a confidence that takes place that's not about us because we couldn't do it anyway, but there's a confidence in what he holds and the power in his hand. So when you stand on the promises of God, it's because when God put his hand on your life, you felt something confident that you had never felt before. You, you saw potential in an answer that you never had before. You saw opportunities coming that you knew that you couldn't get on your own. So listen to me, once he puts his hand upon your head in that manner, it creates a confidence in you that, that, that stirs something us. And from that moment moving on, you know, hey, I know where the answer is and I know I'm coming back to get my spiritual haircut. And I'm, I'm not leaving God because he hasn't left me. Are you with me here this morning? Because it creates a confidence that, 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 that wants us and puts us in a place where we hold on to God's promises. Now that's easy to say when things are going good. I, I understand that. But even when things are not going good and we're in a time of recovery and we need to recover, come on, we still put our trust in God and we still put ourselves in a position 
where we lean upon the master. We just, can't, we just don't sing about it to sing. We sing that, those, those songs so that you'll go home and realize, come on, there's a power on the inside of me. As I hold on to what God has promised, listen to me, there's some things you need to let go of, but the promises of God is not one of those things. And so we, we hold on with security no matter what we're facing, right? So we hold on to the promises of God. Number two this morning, number two this morning, it's important to get connected in church. It's important to get connected in church. And this is, this is not a, a, you know, just a, just a thing I'm, I'm, I'm boiling over here. When you get connected in church, it opens up a source in your life and it, it, it creates partnership. It puts you in a position to get connected, to do more than you could do on your own. The church is God's city on a hill, the scripture says. The church is the place where light shines in the darkness. The church is a place, come on, where somebody can walk in uh, uh, defeated, messed up, needing answers, walk in on a Sunday morning because you invited them, and then they get connected, and all of a sudden they hear something, or they sense the presence of God, or they feel that hand upon their head, or, or whatever the, the situation is, and they walk out of this place. Come on, somebody. Different than they came. Now, we know the church is not a building. You're the church, but the assembling of ourselves together, come on, opens up a power that releases the potential in your life. And so every time you give, every time you partner, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for church, come on, I wouldn't have uh, uh, the majority of relationships that I have in my life. It's in church where you find somebody that you can lean on and they can lean on you. It's in church that you connect to something in other countries which we just saw in the video that's incredible, where, where, where it goes, because listen to me, God will always, he will always lead you to think beyond you. He, he thinks in levels of, of legacy, and it's in, it's in church where that potential flows. You know, Kelly and I were, were uh, in Colorado here recently, and, I, and we got to looking at a man named, uh, we went on a tour for, uh, to top of Pikes Peak, over 14,000 uh, uh, feet high, it was incredible. But there's a guy named Spencer Penrose who established Colorado City. He was pretty much one of the, the lead hands in that. He, he established the road to Pikes Peak. He established the Broadmoor Hotel. I mean, just if you, if you look at Colorado City, it's going to reflect to this guy and his wife somewhere in the picture. Now, uh, he, he struck gold, and, and, and it was just incredible. Goes through this, this process throughout his life of just wanting to be a giver, just wanting to help, wanting to be a part of something bigger than he was. And so he ends up, they end up uh, uh, very successful. In, in 1939, he ends up passing away. And so I'm on this tour and this guy starts talking about the, the things that have been done since Spencer Penrose had passed away in 1939. And listen to me, in 1939, he created a fund that he had that always wanted to be a blessing to the citizens of Colorado Springs. So him and his wife create this fund. And, and any need that, that, you know, he said any need, he gave them all these different properties and said, hey, you can, you can have this property under the condition that you preserve the nature and that you let people in for free. So he's got several properties and places where, where it's just a blessing to other people. Everybody say blessing. Well, Spencer Penrose died in 1939. Today, the amount of money that there's in that fund that they've continued to bless the city of Colorado Springs with is over $1.1 billion dollars. The man died in 1939, but he had a vision beyond himself. 
He had a vision beyond the problems and the things that he faced when he was, when he was building and, and, and taking that thing to a whole other place. Are you with me here this morning? And when you start thinking beyond yourself, God starts releasing things to you, giving you ideas, giving you relationships and partnerships. And that's what happens in the local church is that there's relationships and partnerships that start happening so that we can go into different arenas and places and be a blessing. But listen to me, and since 1939, think about that. Today, that fund's worth $1.1 billion. Now, last year, a year before, they had a bad hailstorm, and during that hailstorm, it demolished every single car that was in the parking lot of the hotel that he established back in the early 1900s. And so they went to that fund. Listen, out of that fund, they said every single car in that parking lot was demolished, and it was packed. It's a very, very popular place. They, they, get, they either gave everyone the money to pay their deductible on their insurance or they gave them the money to help towards go to a new car, every single car in that place. He's been dead since 1939. But see, when you connect to church and you connect to God's place and, and God's people, what happens is legacy begins to start taking place in your life. And your legacy is gonna go beyond you, come on, to the next generation and to the following generation. So when God partners us up in the local church, it's not just so we can raise our hands and feel good for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's because there's a power that's released when God's people come together. And through that power, it goes beyond so that you're blessed, your children are blessed, come on, and your grandchildren are blessed, and your great-grandchildren are blessed. And so in part of the, the recovery process is when you get hooked up in the local church, come on, Things start happening that go beyond you. It's always bigger. Everybody say it's always bigger. You know, I was struggling one time with that and kind of got off on my own. And uh, I, I called Dr. Carmen. I'd been out of church for about five years. And so I called Dr. Carmen and said, hey, I got this stuff stirring in me. God's really done a work in me. I just need some advice. And so he didn't say, hey, thus saith the Lord. I got a prophetic word for you. Well, you've been sitting at home for five years. That's not what he said. He said, my advice to you, David, is to get back in the local church. And as you do that, God will begin to operate. You'll get the right connections, right relationships. You need a recovery in your life. Come on. And the local church is where that started. So I encourage you, if you know people out there, encourage them in that manner. Let them get back connected. So we hold on to God's promises. We get connected back into the local church. Stay in church. Somebody say, stay in church. Be the church. I didn't say to say that. No, I'm just kidding. Number three, number three, and this, this is going to be good, apply emotional intelligence to your situation. Apply emotional intelligence to your situation. We have a video for you this morning, and it's kind of a fun video. I'll explain it more here in a minute. All right, slow down. Slow down. Jesus Christ! Are you serious? Are you serious? We're switching. No, I'm done. You need to slow down. I don't care. I don't care. Keep going. It's a red light. It's a red light. God. Learn. Learn. All right. <laughs> so we want to apply emotional intelligence. For those of you that didn't interpret the video, come on. That was a young man interpreting his mother as he's teaching him to drive. So... Our, our son sent that to us, Randy, this past week. We were on vacation, and so I thought it was funny. But listen to me. We need to apply emotional intelligence. And, and, and this doesn't mean behavior modification or anything like that. There's a level in our life. If you deal with people long enough, you're going to find out that even in a process of recovering, 
that emotions many times, come on, lead the way on how people are living. And, and I've been through hard times. My wife's been through hard times, you know, in our lives. And, and we've seen different things. When Kelly and I got together, she was working three jobs, taking care of her kids. And, and you know, and, and as a single dad at the time, I was taking care of my kids and working and going and doing. And the pain of life, we all understand that in some regards. Can I just be real with you this morning? And so, you know, as in that, in that process, we have to learn to apply emotional intelligence. And so, uh, uh, emotional, emotions can be neither, or they can be this. Emotions can be either destructive or they can be progressive. You saw in the video right there, that wasn't a good atmosphere for learning. Come on, if that's how mom was really doing it. Now, I've driven with my kids. We've had plenty of them, right, who, who, who've cost us a lot of money driving cars and getting cars and getting insurance. And can I drive, can I drive, can I drive? And then later on they learn, hey, I actually have to pay for gas. I mean, we know the process in that. But emotions cause people a lot of times problems and lead them into arenas that they don't have to go. And so I've watched it over and over again, an emotional response, like I said, it's neither good nor bad depending on the content that it's used in, but emotion taken in the wrong direction many times can lead you opposite of where God's trying to take you. And so, you know, as a pastor, you see it all the time when people are going through things, there's high emotion, uh, you, you know, the reaction's emotional, and, 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 you know, you, 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 the, the words that come out and the things that are said, sometimes you know, hey, they really don't mean that. That's just emotion talking. Or maybe you've been in discussions with, with family members or your wife or your husband or, or where you work, leading teams, leading meetings and those kind of things. You know, there's just times where people respond in emotion. But listen to me, emotion used in the right way will always draw people to you. Emotion used in the right way will always draw people to you. And when they draw, I, I, I see it as a triangle. When, they, when, when my emotion is handled right, it draws, it draws people to me and then I can lead them towards Jesus. But if my emotion's handled in the wrong capacity and I don't, don't apply any kind of emotional intelligence to what I'm doing, I'm gonna give you scripture here in a second, then more than likely I'm pushing people away, come on, that I need in my life. And so, you know, I tell the staff that all the time. Hey, don't respond. Don't just respond. Think about what you're doing. Think about how your flesh wants to respond and then respond the right way. And that way you're, 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 you're operating in a way that's always drawing people to you. It, you know, and, I, and some people say, well, I'm highly emotional. And some people say, well, I don't show a lot of emotion. That's still emotion, right? And so it, neither one's right. I mean, neither one of those are wrong. Some of us are gifted to show high emotion. Some of us are, are more reserved. But listen, emotion taken into the wrong context will cause you to cut a guy's ear off. You hear what I'm saying? And so, so there's, this, uh, there's this emotional thing that God is working on within us. Pastor Lane talked about it last week that God's trying to change the way that we think. But as I operate in, in, the, in the emotions uh, that God has and my emotions line up with my faith and my, my emotions don't dominate my faith, my faith are in control of my emotions. Are you with me here this morning? Then we avoid things sometimes that, 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 you know, that, that could hurt other people or could, get, or could push people away from you. you know? And you talk to people and they say, I don't know why people don't wanna be around me. Well, hey, let me help you for a minute, right? And you gotta be careful what you say in that, but if your emotional intelligence isn't intelligence, I think Jesus created us all to be somewhat intelligent. Are you with me here this morning? And so with, if I'm going to recover, my emotions may want to say it's over. If I'm going to recover, my emotions may want to tell somebody off. You know, Kelly and I were on a, a, a trip on the vacation, and these, she's standing in line at the bathroom. I was sitting there watching it, 
And, and these two ladies just come up and cut right in front of her. I mean, she's next in line for the, for the bathroom. And these two ladies just cut right in front of her. I was about ready to kill somebody. My emotions wanted, you know, wanted to say, hey, come on, are you, are you that unaware that you didn't see somebody standing in the line? Because there, there should be an awareness as human beings for the person next to us. Are you with me? And so I didn't do that. I just went and pouted on the bench and threw a fit by myself way over there a long, long ways away. And so when Kelly comes out of the bathroom, she walks down this hill and, and she just said, I just wasn't going there. I mean, that was her immediate response is, I just wasn't going there. And I'm like, you should have told them, you know, <laughs> you should have told them. And she said, yeah, then they both might have beat me up. It might not have been a good deal. And we'd all rolled down the hill. But emotion, and I've done it so many times in my life. I'm a highly emotional person. But every time I've reacted, come on, in an unintelligent way when it comes to emotion, I've always had to go back and do a whole lot of apologizing. And I finally found out, hey, you know, as time goes on, I, want to, I don't want to do so much apologizing as I want to network and build people and, and, and connect with people so that when, when, when we're out there, come on, and I need something or, or a person needs something or I need a Scott Nelson or a Ron Ledbetter, come on, or a Raymond Mesa or Mr. Shook or Mr. Barr, I, I want to have connection there. I don't want to spend all my time saying, hey, guys, I meant to do well. I didn't mean to, to chew that guy out. I didn't mean to be rude to your wife. Come on, somebody. Emotional intelligence will always lead you in an opposite direction. And so sometimes emotions, even when opportunity come, if you're not careful, those emotions can lead you in the wrong way. When John the Baptist, when Jesus came to John the Baptist and, and, and reached out and, and, and to, to get baptized, this is John the Baptist, come on, about to baptize Jesus. This is uh, Matthew chapter 3. And so he, uh, John looks at Jesus and says, hey, this ain't right. I, you should be baptizing me. Emotions start speaking. You should be baptizing me. Don't tell me Jesus didn't need people. Come on, he went to John the Baptist. He pulled in the disciples. And so Jesus looks at, at, at John the Baptist and says, in order for righteousness to be fulfilled, this has to take place. And then immediately, John lines up and sees the big picture. But how, what if in that situation he had said, no, I, I, I'm not baptizing you. You're, you're more powerful than me. I'm not baptizing you, it just ain't right. Come on, somebody. What if he got mad and just pouted off and said, it ain't happening? Are you with me today? And so he had a moment, he had a moment of, of uh, an, an emotion that took place there that could have really, could have led him away from that great moment. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine Jesus coming to you to get baptized? And so in that moment, there's emotion flowing, but Jesus didn't respond emotional and say, come here, buddy, let me give you a hug. He didn't say, hey, hey, you know, come on, it's going to be okay. Let's just walk this out. Let me give you nine steps here. He says, hey, John, emotion out of the way. This has to be done. So in 2020, all those people sitting at the Life Church can have an understanding of my righteousness. And then John says, you're right. Hey, I, I was just had a bad Snickers day. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Snickers commercial. And he's like, hey, this is where I'm going to roll now. So he, he takes the step. Jesus, following that, Matthew chapter 4 Jesus is in a powerful place there. He had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus comes out of the, out of the wilderness after spending 40 days and 40 nights with, with, with uh, praying and seeking God, and the Bible says he was hungry. You know, we've been in church 30 minutes and we're hungry. Can you imagine 40 days and 40 nights? And so in this process, Jesus comes out of, well, well the tempter comes, the enemy comes, and says, hey, if you're hungry, come on. You're, you're the Messiah. He says, turn that stone into bread. 
Jesus didn't get emotional. Jesus didn't let emotion dictate his recovery process after fasting. Listen, Jesus had to recover. He was human just like we have to recover. Jesus didn't get emotional and say, no, no, I'm just gonna call in a pizza. He didn't get emotional and say, you know what, you're right, I'm hungry and, it, and, and this would be valid for me to do this because of my power. Jesus responds by holding on to the promises of God. And he looks back at the enemy there and he says, it is written, he holds on to the promise. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And at that moment, listen to me, emotion didn't control him even though he was hungry. Even though his body was weak, even though he was tired and needed to recover and needed, to, needed some restoration in his life, even in that process of recovery, he didn't let his emotions dictate him. He stood in a place, come on. He stood firm and secure upon the promises that our heavenly father, come on, had given him and given us. He stood firm and secure that I may be weak and I may feel feeble, but I know my father on the, uh, 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 who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he ain't weak and he ain't feeble. My emotions may, his, his emotions could have said, hey, you're right, or hey, you know, I'm gonna give in to this, or I'm gonna get angry, or I'm gonna run off, but he didn't do that. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And if you're in a place in your life where you need to recover, and you're in a place where you know you've tried to do it on your own, you're in a place where you know that, 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 that this thing you're trying to walk out, come on, hasn't, hasn't looked the way that you wanted it to, and most people, can I say this? It's hit me this morning. Most people are okay emotionally as long as they're getting what they want. Does that make sense? Most people are okay as long as, long as, long as the process is going my way, but it's in the moments that we don't seem coming, come on, where the emotion wants to take over, or the fit throwing wants to take over, or the disconnection wants to take over or they hurt me so I'm running, or, 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 or you know, things just aren't working out so I'm gonna quit. Listen to me, don't quit. Press into the recovery mode that Jesus pressed into in Matthew chapter four, come on. Press in to say, hey, I may feel weak, but my God's not weak, so I'm standing firm and secure on his word on his power. I don't feel like singing, but I'm gonna sing. I don't feel like loving, but I'm gonna love. I don't feel like praying, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna pray because my heavenly Father brings recovery into my life. And just because I need recovery doesn't mean something's necessarily wrong with me. It's just the process that I'm going through in my life. Listen to me, weakness may be there, fatigue may be there. May, we may be in a time where things don't look the same, feel the same. It's not the first time in history that that's happened, but I can tell you what is the same. Our heavenly father who bruised his heel on the enemy's head, come on somebody, who, who, who made a way through his blood and his righteousness, who had you on his mind. He didn't get emotional, come on, about being baptized. He didn't get emotional about being on the cross. He stood on what he knew he had to stand on, which was the promise of his heavenly father. Listen to him because he knew that we would be sitting in this place today in 2020 needing a little recovery in our lives. So recovery don't come in a bottle. Recovery don't come in a pill. Recovery doesn't come, come on, by just getting back what you want. Recovery doesn't come through any other process than leading on the promises that God has given us. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Get it in your mouth this morning. Come on, just take a minute and let that simmer. Amen. Father, we bless you today. We thank you today, Father, that we stand here today in hope, firm and secure. 
And Father, there are times in our life where we just have to recover. We need recovery. And Father, we just stand today on your promises and just declare that even though at times we, it doesn't feel the same, it doesn't look the same, and we're used to doing what feels the same and what looks the same, but this don't look the same and this don't feel the same. But what is the same, come on somebody, is the power of God that God wants to release into you right now. Let him put his hand on your head, right there where you sit this morning. Take a moment and just let, let God place his hand on your head, firm and secure. Firm and secure. Some of you are getting ready to quit, don't quit. Some of you battled, you don't understand why. Listen, you don't have to understand why. Trust God. He'll do exceedingly and abundantly. He's got more for you. Some of you, some of you got that, that, that thing on the inside of you that says, I can't ask for help. You know, it, it makes me not look like I'm strong or I'm a man. Listen to me. A real man asks for help. Come on, that's for somebody. Nothing wrong with needing help. Nothing wrong with needing recovery. You can't do what you don't know how to do. But God always has a way and has a connection and has a recovery process that knows what to do. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If I died today, I don't know that heaven would be my home. I'm tired of fighting life on my own. Listen to me, you don't have to anymore. Jesus paved the way. Jesus is the bridge, the mediator, the love between life and death. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, I wanna receive Jesus in my life, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I just want you to raise your hand this morning. I'd be honored to lead you there. If you're in this place, I see that hand. God bless you. Any others? If you're here, we're going to pray here in a second for that. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I need recovery in my life. If you'll raise your hand this morning, we want to pray for you as well. Hands, lots of hands. And so I'm going to ask the church to pray with me here. Say this with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth that you, God, raised your son from the dead. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my recovery. Fill me with your spirit today and take me to where you want me to go. And Father, I pray over those that are hurting, those that acknowledge they need a recovery in their life, Lord, and we just supernaturally pray your will into their lives. Father, we thank you, Lord, that they've acknowledged they need help. Now the helper's coming. Come on. The moment that you acknowledge to God that you need help, right then God starts ministering and ministering. He may be preparing you before that, but there's something about you asking, and there's something about you inviting him into that situation. We just speak life right now into every home, every situation, Father God. We declare today that just because things don't look the same and feel the same, it doesn't mean that you don't have something new for them, Father. And we speak the newness of God. We speak the new creation of God into every circumstance. We speak life today in Jesus' name into these homes and into the community. And we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a hand this morning.